Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to share the interview I have with Alejandra Siroca today, who has devoted her life to learning and teaching how language and communication shape our lives and relationships. So we had an incredible conversation about conscious communication and how this helps us to transform She's the creator of Language Alchemy, a practice that allows you to transform outdated communication patterns, access your deepest truths, embody your capacity to show up as a mature, compassionate, and authentic human being, and maintain a thriving life and relationships. She combines scientific approaches with holistic methods and holds three master's degrees in the fields of language, communication, and transformative leadership. So you are going to love this conversation. And before we jump in to our multifaceted conversation all about deconditioning from the power over paradigm, how to use language to evolve, how to connect with people you don't agree with, or in different power dynamics, also tips, her tips for showing up authentically in your work and life, you really won't want to miss that. So before we jump in, I want to let you know about three ways that you can work with me this year. The first way is in my Heal Your Money Karma program. This is a 30-day sprint taking place in the month of August live with me. There is a course component that helps you get clear about your numbers. It helps you to work with any limiting beliefs that you have around money and also empowers you to weave in some Lakshmi mantras and other tools you can use in your spiritual practice to help you. I'm really proud of this course. I do all this foundational work with all of my clients. So if you are either already an entrepreneur and you're doing pretty well, but you want to get to the next level or you're newer or you're struggling with some money karma issues, definitely check that out. I'm also doing money karma analyses for up to 20 folks. So at the time of this recording, I'm not sure when this comes out, how many will be left, but that is also an opportunity you can take advantage of. And the link for that is in the show notes. Of course, you can always join me as well for the Cosmic Business Incubator. This is my eight-week program to help you streamline your business with irresistible offers and a sales process that you can repeat again and again to make 
that income that's going to give you a thriving business. So this is a major next level for your business that you can do in eight weeks. So you can join me for one or both. I'm also running a retreat in November called the Vibrancy Retreat in South India. This is going to be a time to unplug, to rejuvenate with oil treatments and Ayurvedic food, and also work on planning and get a deep dive into your own chart with me. So check all those things out in the show notes. And now please enjoy this interview with my former client and incredible communications expert, Alejandra Siroca. Hello, Alejandra. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Paula. It's such a joy to have you here. We've known each other for over a decade now. We've had some similar teachers and practices that we've engaged in. So it's been so nice to, you know, get to know your business even more. And I remember when I first met you, which I think was like 2012, I asked you what you did and you lit up and you said, I practice language alchemy. I tell my clients this all the time, like you want to say what you do and have people lean in with curiosity. And that's what I did. So maybe we can just start with you sharing what is language alchemy? It's really interesting because when I mention those two words, language alchemy, people usually tell me like they lit up and they say, what is that? Tell me more. (laughs) So language alchemy, the way I describe it nowadays, and of course it's shifted and, and changed, but the way I describe it now is by using three concepts. It is a transformative communication system. It's an awareness practice, and it's also a form of evolutionary activism. What does that mean? That first of all, it's a whole system of communication that allows us to transform how we are communicating, how we're relating to reality, to ourselves, to others, that allows us to become aware of the paradigms that are underlying the language that we speak with one another and how we're relating to one another from that particular paradigm or paradigms, plural, and layers of conditioning that have come uh, with the the first seven years of life when we were learning how to communicate. It's a system of communication that allows us to find our authentic expression. And authentic expression doesn't mean, let me tell you what I think about you, or, you know, just like, offer an opinion that opinions are actually the most superficial layer of communication. But our authentic expression is to be able to be the authors of our lives and find a language that's free of oppression, free of conditioning. You and I are women. We have been conditioned to communicate in particular ways, even though you and I grew up in different cultures, in different, two different sides of the American continent. You grew up in North America, I grew up in South America, and yet we were both conditioned to communicate in specific ways because we were raised and socialized as female members of our human family. And from there, depending on the kind of families that we grew up with, the political ideology, the historical context, we learn to communicate in very specific ways. That is not our authentic language. That is the language that we have learned that was conditioned for us. And that is the good news. 
that the language we speak is something that we have learned and it's something that can change because we can learn to communicate differently. That's what I do with language alchemy. I help people find the essence of who they are, connect to that essence, maintain that connection to that essence when it's easy, when it's hard, especially when it's hard, when they get triggered, when the other person has a very different idea of the world or themselves and show up as the conscious, mature, capable adults that we are and that our world and our relationships need. Wow. That was amazing. There's just so many parallels, you know, because I know that you really believe relationships are the ground where we can, as spiritual practitioners, like get in there and do some of the hard work. You know, it's easier to sit in a cave and not talk to anyone and meditate. And I feel the same way about business, but business is essentially about relationships. So we're talking about the same thing. So can you talk more about how this helps us evolve and like what it, what is the invitation inside of doing this work? Absolutely. There's something that I heard you talk about very frequently in your podcast, in our conversations, in our work together. And that is that right now, it's not that we just don't need a word of dominance or competition or power over, but it's that we don't want that kind of world anymore. We want a world of collaboration. We want a world of equality, of compassion, of equity. But guess what? We're still speaking the language of domination. We're still speaking the language of competition. We're still speaking the language of power over. And so even as spiritual practitioners, we may call ourselves warriors. We may say, I need to fight for what I want. Those terms come from a different paradigm that has gotten us to where we are, a world that is divided and divisive, where we treat one another when you don't like what I say, or when I don't like what you said or you did, I treat you as my enemy. So then I either either have to fight with you or I have to run away and try to duck and protect myself from you because now you're powerful and you're the enemy. Or I need to, pre to freeze and pretend that there's nothing going on here so that I can feel quote unquote safe. So as business owners and conscious business owners, if we want to relate to our clients and customers consciously, then we need to learn to speak even when we're selling a product, when we're having an initial conversation, when we're guiding them towards transformation. We need to learn to speak a language of collaboration. We need to speak a language of compassion. If Even if we're upset by our clients, if we're working with someone that's different, that's difficult, someone who's in resistance of what we're offering... We need to be able to communicate in a different way, in a way that leads us to power with the other person, that leads us to confidence with the other person. The word confidence, the, the etymology of confidence means to have faith. And we need to be able to communicate with that other person in a way that leads us to a world of partnership in which we're equal and there is equity and we can understand each other in a completely different way than we have learned, you and I, and most of the people who are listening have learned to communicate. Yeah. I think it's interesting because a lot of people who are listening have likely had some 
exposure to work on communication, maybe in therapy, maybe in their own, you know, self work, their own reading, maybe through their spiritual practice, they've had some exposure to that. And I feel like what you're asking is like the next level of that, even more refinement, you know, because I know one of your values is equity. And how do we make a world where we can talk to anybody and treat them with respect because every human soul has value. So can you talk a little bit more about like what somebody who's in a position who's already had some exposure to communication, to understanding the value of that? Like how can they even take that to the next level? Maybe give an example if you, if you have one at hand. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's so interesting what you brought up. I am going to answer your question and I'm, I really, ah, oh, I'm just delighting in what you just brought up. Because it's true. When we go to a workshop on personal transformation, when we study and get steeped in a, in a spiritual tradition, inevitably, we are going to hear something about communication. But we don't yet have, and this is what I'm trying to do with language alchemy, we don't yet have a complete system that focuses on communication as a gateway for transformation, spirituality, and interconnectedness. We don't have that yet at the center of our mandala. We kind of like use communication at the periphery of our mandala, but not at the center. But the way we communicate is how we can connect to another person. To give you an example, if you're hearing an accent, first of all, accent changes every 30 miles. So my particular accent is a combination of having been brought up in Argentina with Spanish as my first language, and then having lived in different countries in the Caribbean and in the US. And I started learning English when I was five, and I'll keep learning English until my last breath. I'll keep working on communication until my last breath. I grew up in a historical context in which there was a military dictatorship. For 12 years of my life, there was no democracy in Argentina. For 12 years of my life, and it takes us seven years to learn a language, I learned a language of divisiveness and a language of hiding. You couldn't talk about so many different topics. You couldn't even listen to the music that you wanted to listen to because you could be taken to jail. I learned this language of secrecy and divisiveness and don't share what you're feeling, feeling or even what you're thinking with others. My family is very conservative. I grew up Catholic. And when I was a child, I practiced Catholicism. And then I had a father who was my first spiritual teacher who started teaching me to question what I was learning, but to question it not in a way of being against it, but how can I be outside of it, communicate in a different way, think about it in a different way, and still embrace my roots and my conservative family. So I have learned, for example, to talk about religion with my mother when I can talk about Kali and Saraswati and Shiva, and I can talk about the Buddha, and I can talk about my own beliefs and my own spirituality, and we can talk 
with her about Virgin Mary and Jesus, and there's no conflict. We have learned to respect one another. I have serious conversations with her about racism when and xenophobia when she expresses something about people from other countries moving to Argentina. And I share with her, and you have a daughter who is an immigrant and is living in the United States. And the way you just express yourself is the way many people are talking about me. How is that? And we can have those very important conversations in a tender way without making one another an enemy. So if you could, please tell us, how do you start having those kinds of conversations? Because there's a lot of moments where I'm sure a lot of people who are listening get into these situations and with parents, with friends, with, I mean, anybody, how do you start to have those kinds of conversations so that you can get to that place? Because that is the goal, right? Is to be able to have a conversation in a tender and respectful way, even if you disagree. Well, what I would say first is to let go of the idea that we're just going to have one conversation. It's going to take time. And I like to talk about with my clients about micro conversations. So we're going to be planting seeds little by little with a particular intention, with our intention being first and foremost to connect. Because if our intention is to convince the other person, oh, then it's going to be very hard to have a respectful conversation. So how do we connect? We first connect sometimes by showing the other person how we feel about something that they have said and how it impacts us. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, I was having a conversation with a couple in New York City who uh, said, oh, climate change is a hoax. To that response, I started crying. I didn't say anything. And then we could have a conversation about what are those tears about? Then little by little, we can have that conversation. But the other thing that we need to do is to be able to ask questions. And not just asking questions in a way that's eloquent or using particular words, but noticing, again, our intention. Is it to connect? Is it to convince? Because if it's to convince, then we're having power over the other person. We're saying my truth is right and good and pure and yours isn't, or it's not true. So we, if we have the intention to connect, then the tone of our voice, when we speak, because we need to become aware of the energy of our, the way we're communicating, that will convey curiosity and an intention to connect. So I can ask my mother, wow, what do you think someone like me feels when she hears that people here in the United States may be saying the same things about me that you are now saying about people from other countries who are moving to Argentina? And if I ask that way, I am very intentionally And I'm very aware that when I'm speaking, I am connecting to the layer of the heart, the energetic heart, the Hridaya in Sanskrit. And so my voice is going to 
drop down, is going to slow down, is going to express itself with a tone that's very different than if I was giving a lecture in saying something like, well, what do you think people in the United States are thinking about me right now? I'm an immigrant too, mom. I could say practically the same language, but the energy is different because the intention is different. And the same thing goes when we're working as entrepreneurs with our clients, when they have an objection, when they are resisting what we're offering, what we're trying to help them with, then it depends on how we communicate with them that we can help people move forward towards where they want to go or that we can create, again, that antagonistic, divisive place where we don't connect. And that's the place where there's going to be misunderstandings, assumptions, and communication is not going to go the way we would like it to go if we're, for example, providing a service or, or trying to help someone. Mm. As you were talking, I was thinking about how when we're in a situation where there is perceived like power over inherently in it, how do we navigate communication in those situations so that we don't utilize that quote unquote power to manipulate, to hurt, to even if we're not aware So do you have any tips? Because I know a lot of people listening, they may have somebody they're working with on their team, maybe with clients, you know, there's, there's power dynamics. So how would you help someone understand how to approach a communication in a situation like that? Well, first of all, you mentioned the magic word there, awareness. First of all, we need to be aware of how we're communicating and why we want to communicate something. Secondly, We need to have with our teams regular feedback sessions. And feedback sessions are not just about are we meeting our goal or are we not meeting our goal and how our team member or someone who's working for us is doing what they said they were going to do or not. Of course, if they're not doing what they said they were going to do, we need to find out what's going on that's not allowing you to fulfill your commitment. But we also need to have feedback sessions about how we are communicating. So, for example, when I hire someone to work with me, part of the, of the um, job description says that we are going to have conflicts because wherever there are human beings, there's going to be conflict. And that I need their willingness to be able to talk about how we are communicating, that I need their willingness for them to receive feedback and I need their willingness for them to give me feedback. So recently I had a beautiful conversation with someone who's been working with me for over a year about how we were both communicating with one another. And even if I want to have a particular intention and I want to communicate in a particular way, the impact that my communication had with this person who was working for me was not the impact that I wanted to have. But I am able to listen to that and notice, oh, if that's not the impact and the impact that's that it with which it's being received and it's generating in the other person is not in alignment with my intention or my values, then tell me so and so, how can I communicate this in a way that could be received 
with kindness, with compassion and clarity. And that can help us move our goals in our business forward. So we need to be able to do the humble work of having feedback sessions constantly. I have feedback sessions with my clients. When I have a client who's working with me for three, six, nine months, every three months, we have feedback sessions. How is this going? How am I communicating with you? How the way I'm communicating with you is impacting your work on communication. That's beautiful. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, one of the keys is just to slow down. That I feel brings in the space that's needed to actually be listening to your intuition, listening to the person speaking, you know, having your answer ready as the person's talking. It's almost like you were talking about dropping down into your heart and the kind of intention setting to have that space be created and then to be able to receive from the other person, you know, and I feel like there's something also in this that I think of with karma. So what you're talking about is almost resolving karma that is happening interpersonally. So we all have these karmic ties with different people. And so we can either further like a kind of intense triggering interaction with people, or we can like slow down, have intentional conversations and resolve that karma. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's something I think about a lot in the work that I do. I think about karma a lot after sitting with uh, Dr. Robert Spoboda and learning from him the concept of karma the, in the way he teaches about karma is fascinating <laughs> to me and deeply resonates with me to the point that I don't work with certain people who want to work with me because in that initial conversation, I ask myself, do I want to enter into this karma with this person? I know that if I'm going to be their transformative communication teacher or coach, we are entering into some karma. Is that going to be skillful? Is that going to be beneficial for both of us? And if the answer is no, then no, (laughs) I'm not going to do it because it's not going to be beneficial. And yes, we need to drop into our hearts, but we need to drop into a place that's even lower than the heart when we slow down. And that is our belly center of intelligence. So in different traditions, we have different systems of the energy body. Sometimes some traditions, when they talk about chakras or or energy centers, they talk about 7, 11, uh, 22, 108, and so on and so forth. All of them, though, agree on the fact that there are three main hubs, like three main bus stations, if you will. And those are the belly center, the heart center, and the head center. The belly center is the center of presence. It's the center that connects us to the earth and it's the center of confidence. That's why I say we need to communicate with confidence means we need to communicate first with awareness of our belly center. It is the belly center. When communication comes from there, authenticity is being communicated. We know how to set boundaries without closing our heart. But we know what's ours to do, what's not ours to do. We connect to our values from the belly center, which is the least understood 
And then we need to learn to communicate with compassion, which is the realm of the heart center, the place of connection, the place of empathy, the place that says when someone's giving me feedback that I start feel shaky about or I get scared or I feel insecure, I can say to me, just like me, this person has had X experience. And then it can help me be open to listening to that piece of feedback that is generating some kind of like jittery and energetic sensation. And then we need to learn to communicate with clarity. And for that, we need to be able to access our head center of intelligence. So when I say we need to communicate or I teach people to communicate with clarity, confidence, and compassion is because we need to tap into these three centers of intelligence align them and have them flow. If we just communicate compassionately without clarity, then we can't move things along. And sometimes we start saying yes to things we want to say no. And then we feel resentful or we feel sad or we feel angry towards the other person or we don't want to talk to them. We try to avoid them. If we are very clear and sharp but we have no compassion, then we have no empathy. There's no connection. And that could be great for a lecture. But if we are hard, you know, hard, if, if we are entrepreneurs who are heart based and spirit based entrepreneurs, then for people, practitioners, we need to be able to have compassion. That is what's going to allow us to collaborate. The language of collaboration comes from the heart. And so we need to be able to have the confidence, the grounded presence in ourselves and our intention, the clarity of the mind. And we, for that, we need to work with our minds to be able to separate what's useful from what's not useful in the mind. And then we need to meet in the heart. So we need those three centers when we're communicating consciously. In our current world, we have been speeding up. When we speed up and you hear younger people are speaking faster and faster. When we're speaking fast, we're not speaking from the belly center or the heart center. We are speaking from sometimes an anxious, overcrowded thinking head center. Our energy is displaced upward. And it's harder to feel connection in when our language is so fast. So we need to learn to slow down. And one of my former teachers who passed away many years ago, a few years ago, Angeles Arrien used to have this phrase, nature moves. If, if, if nature was driving a car, nature moves in the slow or middle lane. Nature only moves in the fast lane to destroy. Think about tsunamis, think about floods, think about wildfires. But when we're speaking, especially if we're having an important conversation, then we need to be able to slow down. And like nature, we need to be in that slow lane or that middle lane. And listening is part of that. Absolutely. So I'm curious how spiritual practice has informed this and helped you maybe get out of the headspace, if you would put it that way, or helped you 
you know, tap into more compassion when you're speaking with people that you don't agree with. Like I know for myself, spiritual practice has been essential in me being able to be more conscious in how I'm communicating, being willing to receive feedback, you know, being open and curious about where I might improve and doing that in public. And that's been super helpful for me as an entrepreneur as well. So I'm curious how you see the spiritual aspects of this work. Well, first of all, when we go into the realm of spirituality, we go into this, not just idea, but this experience of interconnectedness. And also that we are not in an ecosystem, but that we are part of an ecosystem and an integral part of an ecosystem. And that this universe and universes are so much larger than just us. We're just like a little speck of energy in all this. When we go into these experiences of deep connection, what we do find is a sense of companionship within and an alignment with our deeper being that actually when we are in that place, we cannot feel unsafe. We cannot feel alone. We cannot feel attacked. There's nothing to defend. Because in that place, that essence of who we are is love. That's my experience of it. So connecting to that essence every single day and having that practice of finding the way to connect to that essence is what then allows you to embody that essence more and more and live from that place communicate from that place, eat from that place, do everything from that place. And I'm not saying that I have been able to do it and I'm able to do it 24-7 and, <laughs> and, you know, 24 hours every day. No, but I'm aware of it. And I do practices every day to do that. So, for example, before we came into this call, and even before I enter the conversation with you, Paula, I connected with myself and with the intentions I wanted to have with you. I wanted to get out of the way, be authentic, be spontaneous, not have a lot of writing and things to look at, to read from, because that's, that's part of my spiritual practice. As well as every morning when I meditate, I start with a, with prayers and aspirations. They're rather long, so I'm not going to share them here. And they're very personal. And I think everybody needs to have their own personal aspirations and prayers. But part of them says, for me, everybody I know and love will one day die. I vow to honor all my relationships. When everybody who I know and love dies, I will take refuge in the Dharma. For now, I vow to honor all my relationships and show up with love, with confidence, with equity, with peace. And I can tell you, Paula, a couple of days ago, I was having a challenging conversation with a friend. And as we were talking, these words come to me, the words that I say every day, in my spiritual practices, they come to me. And so it's like a, you know, come back, come back to that deeper sense of who you are instead of keep going with 
the the argument, your position, let go of that. It's not serving here. It's not in alignment with what your deeper being really wants. I mean, one thing that really struck me in this conversation is you've brought up the word authenticity several times. And I think you're saying, you know, that it's it's a practice and it's something that is an intention, right, that you're holding. But can you give us some concrete tips on how someone can live more authentically? Or are there some questions or contemplations you would offer? Because I think it's so important as entrepreneurs now in the new paradigm of business, which I call a cosmic business. But what I mean is that we are in alignment with our dharma and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in, in integrity. And that requires us to show up in a certain way and be willing to to learn and to receive feedback and to be open. And so that involves authenticity on such a deep level. So can you just speak to like how to help people stand in that more? Because I think it comes up a lot. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, we need to ask ourselves, why do I want to say what I'm about to say? Mm. And we need to be very clear. And sometimes if what what I find in myself is, oh, I want to say what I'm about to say because I want to sound educated or because I want the other person to know how intelligent I am or I want the other person to to feel how good I am. Okay, then I know that's an agenda. That's not an intention. So we need to be able to separate our agenda from our intentions. Our intentions are pure and lead to authenticity. Our agendas is something related to our communication patterns, our identity patterns that we want to keep repeating so that we're perceived in a particular way so that we can feel good inside. And that's, from my perspective, not why I am here. So first of all, Why do I want to say what I'm about to say? If I recognize it's an agenda, then bring your awareness into your belly center. And by that, what do I mean by that? Two, three fingers below the belly button. Some people call it where your chi is, the hara point, um, that place. Sometimes you can, I teach my clients, put their hands there when they're speaking so that they remember that, bring their awareness to their belly center, take a breath. So you're just listening to the other person. The other person doesn't even know that you have your hand on your belly. I have it right now here. <laughs> and take a breath there, expand your belly with the inhale. And now let new language come out. That is your authentic expression. It comes from your belly center. Your authentic expression is spontaneous. So the second question we can ask ourselves is, is what I'm about to say something that I usually say? Or is there any kind of newness and aliveness? If the answer is, well, I am just telling the story that I usually tell. I used to have a friend who would introduce herself as, Hi, my name is so and so, is so and so, and I'm a child of alcoholics. Well, that was not an authentic introduction. And when we talk to our clients, when we talk to, when, when we're in a networking session and we talk about what we do, if we're always just saying the same thing again and again, then it loses that aliveness, that spontaneity and authenticity. It becomes trite. 
So that's the second thing that I would recommend doing. Again, asking ourselves, is this something that I've said before again and again? Or is this something that has aliveness, juice? Attention uh, follows prana, right? And so if our communication, if what we're saying has some kind of aliveness, the attention will go there. So beautiful. Thank you so much. I think that's going to help a lot of people you know, have a tool they can use. And if you have not listened to Alejandra's beautiful podcast, the Language Alchemy podcast, she shares a lot of tips like this. And I know you've talked about authenticity on there before. I'm curious because you strike me always. I've known you over a decade, like I said, like as a person really living in your purpose, like really doing work that is deeply aligned with what you're here to do. And of course, as we work together, I got to look at your chart and saw, you know, for the past period, you've been in Mercury for 17 years, and then you went into your K2 period, which is such a beautiful transition because Mercury is all about communication and K2 is really about disruption. And so when we get into the period of K2, it's an opportunity to disrupt through the work that we do to disrupt the reality that we find ourselves in. And those of you who've been here listening up until this point, you can hear that Alejandra has a very beautiful way of, of it's beyond just conscious communication. It's beyond nonviolent communication, all those things that you've heard. It has like a deep well and embedded in it, like personal evolution, spiritual evolution, human family evolution, bringing in equity. You know, it's like a very powerful vision. So for those of you who have K2 activated in your chart, this is a really good opportunity to see someone who's really embracing that energy in a good way. So I wanted to say that, but I, my question for you is how, how does it feel to be working in your purpose? What does that feel like inside of you since you've been doing it now for over a decade? <laughs> yeah. Well, what I would say, Paula, is that right now, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I have tears in my eyes. Just oh. I'll take my glasses off. You can see it, but. <laughs> Um, yeah. It moves me deeply, not only hearing you say that, but the actual experience that I have of being able to do this, which I know is part of my karma. I know this is why I'm here at this time in history. I know that this is why I was born and raised for the first 18 years of my life in a country that had so much divisiveness and, and pain. It has prepared me for the world that we have now, where there's divisiveness everywhere, in every part of our globe. And it allows me to really feel the unnecessary suffering in this world that we are causing one another because of how we talk about one another. Did you know, for example, that every genocide started with a, a language campaign, dehumanizing others, talking about others as subhuman, non-human, and using very specific language that then would lead precious human beings to commit so many atrocities to members of our human family. So living in my purpose to me is just a deep, deep call of being of service, saying, yes, I'm here. I'm willing to show up 
when I have a lot of resistance, when I don't want to, when I would want to take a nap or do something different. And yet it's the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. It's part of my prayers and aspirations. Let me be of service. Let me do the work that needs to be done by me in this life. Let me keep myself as safety as 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 nourished and healthy as possible in my body so that this body can be an instrument for this work. That's how it feels. I think it's I have your chart here as well. And I think it's worth saying that you have this beautiful chart for entrepreneurship. You have the strong Mars in the first, you have your son in your seventh. You've got Rahu and Ketu there. So that gives you this ability to innovate and to have like really bold out of the box ideas. And so for people, you know, who have the nodes involved with their very strong planets of entrepreneurship, which are Sun and Mars, this requires you to be bold and step forward and to say things that maybe people aren't ready for or that they haven't heard before and to be out there uh, out front saying, no, just trust me, watch me, see this, learn this, right? And you have to keep saying things like that. So it's just been so beautiful to watch you evolve in your entrepreneurial journey. I'm curious though, how did you start as an entrepreneur? Have you always worked for yourself? Or was there a moment where you made that decision? I was thinking that you would ask me that question. (laughs) And uh, the, the first thing that came up for me when I was thinking about this was that I was about eight years old and growing up in Argentina. And for those of you who are listening with kids, you may want to turn this down for a second and then (laughs) turn it up again. But uh, about the age of eight or nine, I don't know, I found out that in Argentina, at the time when I was growing up, Santa Claus was not that important. We have the three wise men come on January 6th and you leave shoes outside in the living room in your house. And then the next day, you know, and and it's the same idea. We write a letter with what we want. And then the next day you wake up and oh my gosh, there are all these gifts ready waiting for you. When I was about eight or nine, I found out that the three wise men were my parents who (laughs) always... Always wanted me to leave things for the three wise men. And it was a bottle of champagne, chocolate, (laughs) and, and, uh, or some kind of decadent dessert that they would help me buy, but I always had to leave it for the three wise men that for some reason liked champagne. So, so when I found that out, I decided to start selling things. So I would sell two things, three things, actually. Uh, baked Argentinian alfajores, which are like kind of oh. like a sandwich cookie. We just had uh, Argentinian friends here this week and they bought us some of those. They brought some. So <laughs> I know exactly what that is. <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course. If you're from Argentina, you know what alfajores are and you bring those to, to people you love. So I used to bake them and sit in front of my door with a basket and my neighbors would come and buy those. Then I used to make this Walt Disney figurines out of, I, I don't know, it was like a ready mix that you mix it with water and paint it and it would paint it in different colors and sell those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I would set up shop in the corner of my house 
And, um, and then for Christmas and New Year's Eve in Argentina, we have a lot of like firecrackers and things like that. It's summer. It's a big celebration. So I would buy that boxes of that and I would sell those. And with that money, my intention was, which I fulfilled every time <laughs> was with the money I made, I would buy gifts for my family for January 6th. And I would sneak in the middle of the night. I would set my alarm when my parents were sleeping and put out the gifts, take out their shoes, put them in the living room and put gifts out for them. And that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. It wasn't to make money for me. I wanted to buy gifts for them without asking them for money. (laughs) So, so that's how it started. And, um, but to answer your other question, I have known that working for others has had, for me, its limitations. And as you said, I wanted to innovate. My first job was teaching English as a foreign language. I was 25, 24 years old, and all my students were men in Argentina who needed to learn English. And their companies were sending them to this language institute to learn English. They had no interest in learning English. So I had to follow a particular curriculum. And you know what I did? Instead of following the curriculum, because the curriculum was so boring, I just asked them, what are you interested in? And being that this was in Argentina, and then they were male, they all said soccer. So I created a curriculum based on soccer. And we were able to fulfill the curriculum and go through all the grammar that I needed to go through, but talking about making predictions about who was going to win, talking about the past and what the last match was like and their preferences and and everything. And that's how I approach pretty much everything. I look at what's needed here that's different, that hasn't been done, that is not being done, that needs to be outside the the confinements of what's limiting and limited. If there's a big intention to have something, let's do it. I'm working right now with a client who's been married for 50 years and she's not able to ask her husband to go to the doctor because she's afraid. In the course of our work together, what we found out was that they've never really had any kind of deep conversation or or communication. So first... We have to work with that. Then we have to work with her fears. And I want to report to you that she came to me last week and said, I told my husband I was afraid of communicating with him. And she was so proud of herself. She she was so tall. And, and I asked her, how was that for you? And she said, well, because of all the work we've done, it was easy. I thought mm. it was going to be really hard. But it was easy. Mm. And then I said, what happened? And she said, well, that's just the first conversation I'm having with him. Mm -hmm. So it's this micro convert going back to that micro conversation. She's planted that seed. Yeah. As a person who's been in and out of therapy, you know, I've done therapy because I love it. I love that exploration. This is so different. Like what you're talking about, it has such depth. It brings in the spiritual, which not a lot of those containers allow for like even transpersonal psychology. There's not a lot of talk about that I've found. So it just strikes me as like, I love that example that you gave because it's, it's really life changing what can happen when after 50 years, you start having these conversations. 
you know, I'm so curious what the evolution of this is going to be for this client of yours and how it will be once she actually asks them to go to the doctor, <laughs> like what that evolution looks like. So thank you for sharing that. Cause it's, I personally find this so exciting, you know, this work that you do. So I'm just really grateful for your bringing these examples. Thank you. And I want to tell you, Paula, many of my clients are therapists because mm-hmm. in when they're starting to be a therapy, a therapist, there is no training on this very deep layers of language and communication that I, I work with. So the difference, even though when you are a therapist, you are constantly working with language and with communication, but there isn't that the focus that I have with language alchemy and the difference between therapy and what I do is that therapy focuses on the why. Why are things the way they are? And when I work with language alchemy, we focus on the how. How are things the way they are? Because things are the way they are in a way that we have learned to respond, to react, to communicate so that things are so. Now we can learn a different how based on what our hearts long for, the deep sense of connection or whatever it is, be able to speak. Many people come to me because they want to be able to speak at work and they come from different nationalities, they have different accents, or they have very different opinions and they don't know how to bring their voice that matters to the conversation and and to a negotiating table. Yeah, that's the difference that it's not about the why, it's about the how and then how we go through this journey of transformation, which is a spiritual practice through awareness, constantly noticing how we are showing up, how we're not showing up and how that is so to then get to where people want to be and fulfill their longings. So I'm curious, how has working with Vedic astrology and our work together helped you in your business or helped you kind of clarify some of these pieces? Well, I think this last answer I gave you comes from the work I did with you, (laughs) because one of the first things you shared with me was that from your perspective, you understood that I was conducting my business with language alchemy as a therapist and not as a coach. And that was a huge revelation. I'm still peeling the layers of that. And that allowed me with your support to restructure my business. So instead of seeing seven or eight people five days a week, I no longer do that. I only have three days when I see clients and I see three or four clients and I am able to really accompany the transformations the way I have wanted to, but Mm. was scared to do. What about the astrology piece specifically? Because I know we talked a lot about this transition from Mercury to K2 and the Mars piece in your chart because you have such a strong Mars. So it, are you willing to share any of that insight? Yes, yes, of course. So with the with being in K2 and being in such a spiritual place, something that you've helped me do, which has been so useful was, well, before you're going to do something like um, put out there into the world that you're looking for a new assistant, meditate on that. And so you specifically said, 
chant to Hanuman, meditate with Hanuman, or sing this Hanuman Chalisa for 30 days and let with intention of attracting an assistant that can really support you in this phase. And so that's what I have done. And I was able to really distill all the characteristics that I wanted that would be so joyful for me to work with, with someone who had these characteristics. So that's one very specific way in which you have helped me. But also before, when I was in Mercury Saturn, being very disciplined and knowing that, yes, I am doing a lot of work right now and I feel like I'm going through the grind, but this is for my spiritual growth and evolution. It is also for not only my own fulfillment and enjoyment, but also for the benefit of others. So I'm going to show up anyway, because this is what's being asked of me. So knowing where I am, knowing that in July, I'm going to be busy and that I'm going to go through a sub period of K2 Venus that's going to be very active. I'm already preparing for that. So I have changed my schedule in order to rest and sort of like recover from the Mercury Saturn period to now be able to have the energy and aliveness that will be needed for me when something, when the grahas that are with me, <laughs> the, the planets are asking me to show up differently. So, so amazing. I love this so much. This is such a great conversation. So I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Okay. The first one is, what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? Hmm. The first one was from my dad, my first spiritual teacher. When I went to the university, he would write me a letter every week and he would sign, remember, you can do it. The it is up to you. So whenever I feel insecure or this is going to be too big, I don't know that I can do this. I just see in my mind's eye, those words printed on at the bottom of a piece of paper, you can do it. The rest of the it is up to you. And he would always sign with a smile. He would make a smiley faces way before emojis <laughs> existed. And the second piece was uh, from someone I dated for many years. And he taught me how to play tennis. I had been told when I was young that sports were not my thing, that I was going to be terrible at sports and that I should focus on books. Then I met this guy, fell in love, and he was a professional tennis player. And when I told him, oh, I, I would love to play tennis, but I can't. And I told him what has been said about me. He said, it doesn't have to be that way. You can choose how you want it to be. Mm. And then I became a pretty decent tennis player. <laughs> so those two pieces of advice are always with me. I love that. Um, so can you tell us about your morning routine? Like what is non-negotiable for you practice-wise? Yeah. So practice-wise, first of all, I take care of my body by having hot water, a piece of ginger and lemon, and I squat. And that helps me bring the energy down and also empty my bowels so that I can go to practice. I like to go to practice with a sense that I'm an empty vessel, literally. <laughs> 
and including from what I ate the you know the day before or whatever. And um, so then when I sit and practice, I first do some kind of movement to move my prana, my energy. Right now, for the last two months, I've been practicing the five Tibetans, which is something that I had done a long time ago. It's a five series of movements, simple movements. And then I sit in meditation. And when I sit in meditation, I start with my prayers and aspirations. And then I sit and then I end my meditation, which lately has been an hour or sometimes a little longer. And I end with prayers and aspirations. And then sometimes I go into writing and I've been writing these three line poems at the end of my meditation that somehow they have to do. And this is, this is a practice that my teacher, Jennifer Wellwood, has us do on retreats regularly, but spontaneously started happening after meditation. So one says, the morning broke and I'm waiting here, ready for you to show up and reveal yourself to me. That's one. And then um, the other one is invited to the inner sanctum of your heart. I enter in silence and awe. In this sacred space, I bow and listen. Thank you for sharing. I love that. I know there's a practice, I don't know where, it may be in Japan, of people when they're dying, leaving a poem. And somebody mm-hmm. has collected those. And I found, I saw that collection somewhere. So that, that makes me <sighs> think of that. They're like the, wow. the last things that people said, but they were, they almost like create a poem as they're dying. So mm-hmm. wow. How beautiful. Um, on that note, what are you reading right now? Or what would you suggest would be a good book, maybe about communication or, or a book that's very dear to your heart? Well, right now I can tell you I'm reading a variety of things. I usually have sacred poetry. That's part of, I forgot to tell you, that's part of my morning practice before I sit. I want the first words that I connected to be sacred. And what I mean is by someone who wrote them with a communing with their spirit or for spiritual practices. So right now I'm reading a book called The Song of the Bird by Anthony DeMello. He was a priest in Africa and he gathered stories from different religions and spiritual traditions. And he offers a poem or a little story and then a recap or something to think about, a reflection. So I'm reading that. And then I always read nonfiction. And at the moment, I'm reading Soundtracks by Joan Acuff about the how to turn the problem of overthinking into a superpower. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a lot about the internal dialogue. And then I am also reading, you know, I just finished this beautiful book that if anybody wants to read something very current... I have it here. It's called Living a Committed Life. I actually did a podcast episode about it from Lynn Twist. I'm always reading a communication book, but I just finished one called Unbound, the guide um, to power for the the guide to women's power or something like that. I can't remember, but it's by Cassia Urbaniak. And she was a Zen nun for 17 years and also a dominatrix. And she <laughs> writes about communication and power. Very interesting, interesting things there. Yeah. And I just also finished Rest is Resistance by oh, Trisha Hersey. I Hersey. love that book. Yes. Yes. 
And that was also as I was working with you and restructuring my business and thinking of needing more rest. So yeah, so that's what I'm reading right now. We will share those. And I'm writing a book. Yes. (laughs) How is that going? (laughs) It's going really well. Yes, I have one third done already. And um, yes, so the book I want to recommend about communication will be the book that I am writing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have you on again once you have it written and, and it's out there so we can share it with everybody. Meanwhile, we'll put the the links in the show notes to all of those books that you just suggested. And how can people connect with you online or work, find out more about how you work or how do you work with people? Do you want to share anything about that? Sure. So people can find me at the Language Alchemy podcast. It's been going strong for almost two years. Every week I put out an episode and I have Q&A episodes. So if people want to ask me a communication question, I can record a podcast episode and answer your question in depth. And uh, you can find the Language Alchemy podcast in any platform, or you can go to my website, languagealchemy.com, or you can go to Instagram at Language Alchemy or Facebook at Language Alchemy. And those are the best ways to, to find me. And the way I work with people is that when I work with people in one, one-on-one coaching or I support multicultural couples who are on the path of transformation, then so I work with couples and I work with individuals. First of all, we look at what's going on right now. Then the first part of our work is looking at how things are so, how people are communicating that's leading them to have the experience and the relationships that they're having right now. Not because it's a problem, but because it's not working for them and it's not in alignment with their longings. So that we constantly do that reframe. And then we look at how do they want to show up in the world? How do they want to show up with their family as a parent, with their beloved? And then we look at the communication skills that they need to learn and they need to maintain to be able to get to the kind of thriving, connecting relationships communities, life experiences that they want to have. So every time someone works with me, we go through this three-part process of looking at how things are the way they are, which is steeped in alchemy. So you work in alchemy with the ordinary elements first, but you need to look at what those are. And then you go through sort of a process of purification while having an intention. Alchemy, we think of it as transforming lead into gold. But when we look at the real essence of alchemy, which is a spiritual practice, it is a practice that gold was for the human being to be able to access and maintain access to our godlike spirit nature. And so that's what we do when people work with me. So by the time they're done working with me, I can tell you that their whole lives have been transformed, not just their communication. But of course, when we transform our communication, we transform our lives. Right. So there may be, so if somebody's out there listening, they might see, you know, notice in their life that there's something they want to change about how they are living or they're in a transformative period or they want to express something to someone. That sounds like that's kind of a clue that they would be a good fit to work with you. Is that true? Yes. And also that something that they have been trying to do is not, uh, they're, they're not able to fulfill that. For example, they've been trying, to, let's say that most of us spiritual practitioners come from families who were not 
spiritual practitioners themselves. Our parent, most of our parents weren't. And, uh, but we want to keep that connection with our parents and not just a superficial connection. We want to be able to have a meaningful connection with them. So how can we have a meaningful connection with our families, with our roots, and still be respectful of all that we have learned from them that has allowed us to be in this moment and then be able to move forward and deepening our practices because that is where the rubber meets the road. And or we, you know, I work a lot with couples. So many people who are listening, they have now a spiritual practice, but their partner doesn't. How do they keep or how do they have a meaningful and deep connection with their partners as they're growing spiritually and communicating differently, living differently, eating differently, being attracted to different things? It's not about excluding, it's about including. And that's the tantric way of living. It's, it's a way of inclusivity. Any path can lead to depth and to that gold of alchemy that's godlike or our essence nature. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really meaningful to me and I think it'll really impact everyone listening too. So thank you for your time. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Paula, and for helping me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.